It might not grab your attention um, that much to start with. Um, we have been worshipping this morning, and it's strange you can, we can be worshipping and not engage with worship sometimes. We can just be doing it fashion or because we know the songs very well. And it was lovely to sing a song we haven't sung um, a lot or before very much. And um, I was touched by no rival, no equal when it was speaking of Jesus. That's such an amazing phrase put together, isn't it? So amazing, and, and the power of death. Um, yeah, so the title's Engaging with Worship. It comes roughly under a, the heading, we, we were thinking, well, what are pastoral issues in, in the church? And um, I think as far as worship is concerned, I think we were all honest with ourselves, we say there's room for more. There's a lot of room for more contributions within the context of worship. So, in a sense, there's a need to engage with worship. I mean, if you're not used to taking part in the, pub, in, the, in the open worship time, then could I encourage you to think about it? Say, what has God given me today? And it may mean that we need to actually read our Bibles before we come and actually prepare. Um, the way I've looked at it before is... Um, I prepare as if I'm going to lead worship, although I'm not going to lead worship, and God will give me something. And it's like, um, like the boy that um, turned up at the uh, feeding of the 5,000, and he had two loaves, five loaves and two fishes. He'd actually taken something with him, and that was used in the feeding of the people. It's just a simple illustration, but it was being prepared. Maybe some people didn't go prepared because they didn't think they were going to be out so long. But you know, it's a good thing to sometimes prepare. So what can I bring an offer to God this morning? What can I bring an offer to God? So engaging with worship is, is, is quite important in the context of church. Um, I'm going to be doing chapters and verses this morning, so keep with me, Okay. And I want to read one verse, that's verse 26, to, just to start with. Verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 14. What then, brothers, when you come together? So it's introducing us, or Paul's talking about the Corinthian church, when you come together. We're here together this morning. This is, this is the church. Wherever we meet, that's the church. Wherever true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ meet together, they are the church. So it says, when you come together, brothers, each one. There's some, there's some little words I like to circle around sometimes. I say, that stands out, that's important, and you could circle that. Other translations have everyone. Everyone. Now, in the context of, of this chapter being written, there was an element of disorder in the church, and too many people were bringing stuff and trying to do it at the same time. <laughs> so that's the context. It's the context of orderless in the church. But let's take the other side of the coin. There could arise a situation where no one takes part, and that would be equally as disastrous. And Paul's saying, each one of you, each one of you, so that's an encouragement for all of us to get and participate and engage in worship. Each one of you has a hymn or a song. We could say a song or a spiritual song. Each one of you has a hymn, 
Has anybody woken up this morning with a song going through their mind they can't get rid of? Has anyone put, put your hand up or you can shout it out or it doesn't matter what you want to do? No one this morning. Okay. You remember Peggy, Peggy Chapman was here and every week she used to come up to me and say, I woke up with this hymn on my mind. She was in the attitude of worship and she had something to bring. Amazing. Each one of you has a hymn, a lesson. Has anybody got a lesson this morning? <laughs> Other translations put word of instruction, which is quite interesting. Word of instruction. Each one of you, and it's not differentiating between male and female here, it's each one of you. Everyone has this ability. A lesson, a word of instruction, a revelation. <laughs> Anybody got a revelation this morning? Don't smile at me like that, Barry. <laughs> it's saying I've got lots of revelations. <laughs> a revelation. But who has a revelation this morning? Hmm. Now Paul's saying each one of you has. A revelation, a tongue. We'll come back to that later. Or an interpretation. Then he goes on to say, let all things be done for building up. Let all things done for be building up. So these things, our engaging with worship, or in worship, where these things are brought are for the building up of the church. So that means we could go forward a long way. Or we could, as Bob opened up this morning, we could be stretched. We could be stretching out in our lives and in our worship. So engaging with worship. I'll give a little introduction to this, and I'm going to talk about, we'll come back to this passage a little bit later on. So if I said to you engaging with worship, or even engaging with corporate worship, it might not push your button this morning. It might not make your boat rock. But if I said to you, that I believed, and I'm talking personally here, if I believed, I believed that the Holy Spirit was going to bring us into a season of spiritual awakening, which I believe God is going to do that with Beacon Church. If I said to you, he's going to bring us into a season of spiritual awakening, now that would not only push your buttons, but it also make your boat rock as well. God wants to give us the unexpected and surprise us with his presence and power. Now that's a mandate from the New Testament, from the early church as it met together. And the mandate is still for us. It's not saying anything different today. There's that mandate for us today. And I believe the Holy Spirit is, to put it in a very crude way, waiting at the threshold of the door to break in and come where we are. We had a lovely, lovely experience at, at Enough Prayer on Friday night, and we prayed for healing. And we're going to do that at the end today, and I hope I won't go on too long. Well, I must be disciplined myself. Like Bev said the other day, it's easy to waffle. Um, and I can do that, I'm quite good at waffling. Um, but, um, yeah, we had a prayer for healing. And we're going to do that today at the end. You know, Joan Morgiston needs prayer for healing. She needs a touch from God. And she's not here today. She's desperate to come on a Sunday morning. 
and I believe we should pray for us. If someone feels like being a surrogate Joe Morganson a little bit later on, we'll lay hands on you for her benefit. But yeah, prayer for healing. And I've been praying for ages, God let healing flow through Beacon Church as a spiritual gift given to people. In the list of spiritual gifts that the early church had, it, one, this is one, workers of miracles. Now there's one to grab hold of, isn't it? In the church as workers of miracles. <laughs> yeah. Come Holy Spirit. Come Lord Jesus. Engaging with worship. I look around here this morning and I see Loads of practical gifting. People are able to do all sorts of things. I see loads of spiritual gifting. I see love in this church, amazing love in this church, and concern and passion for each other, and fellowship, and getting on together, and community. I see mission activity going on and on and on, but there's more. God wants to break into his church through the power of the Holy Spirit, I believe. Engaging with worship. So, I want to look at three things that will help us raise the bar. Now, this is not a thing necessarily you can work at to achieve, but it's to pray for and engage with and really want to happen because this is God's authentic church. So, raise the bar. There's just three things that will help us in doing that. There's one obvious one, which I'm not going to go on this morning, and which really came off in that last song we had together. It's um, really my appreciation for Jesus and how much I love him. If we know the Ten Commandments, the first one is love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your soul, and with all your mind. There may be different words there and use different versions and things like that. But love for God, and why is saying God telling us something to do which is actually impossible for us to do or was impossible for the people to do but you know through the power of the Holy Spirit he can just remind us and help us to appreciate what Jesus has done for us and to actually begin to show our love for him as we engage with worship so that's the obvious one it's how much Jesus means to us Personally, how much does he mean to you personally this morning? In prayer out, out the back there this morning, we love you, Lord Jesus, I heard it shouted out. And that's amazing because we do. So the three things that gonna, I'm going to look at this morning which may help us to engage with worship is the church, God's masterpiece, a pageant of triumph and glory. The other thing is the elect, it talks about who we are, our identity in Christ, who we are. Do you know we're a dynasty of unsurpassed greatness? David Attenborough's entitled his new animal program, Dynasties. But you know, this morning, you and I are a dynasty. What is a dynasty? Well, we'll look at that just a bit later on. And the third thing I just want to look at is the gift of the Holy Spirit two in particular tongues and prophecy which I'm not going to sort of teach about doctrine but I just want to look at two simple things um, the consistency and logic of Paul's teaching 
And for those, and, and that's specifically for people who are struggling to actually understand whether tongues are authentic or not. And prophecy, because it has come up recently in one group in particular, whether prophecy is per day or not. New Testament prophecy. prophecy. So, in the, under the sort of broad title of pastoral things and engaging with worship, that's sort of where we're going this morning. And after the gifts, I put this little statement, pushing the refresh button. These are things we know about tongues and prophecy. Uh, most of us, I think all of us, know that these are things mentioned in the, in the New Testament and in the context of the church as spiritual gifts. But sometimes, as our computer says, you need to touch that little button, refresh. It actually updates where you are. It gets, a little bit of, it gets rid of a little bit of rubbish, and it brings it up to date so that it's actually working more easily. It's actually beginning to work again, touching the refresh button. And that word cropped up as we were praying this morning too. Lord, refresh us. It cropped up again just now. We just need that refreshment from on high. The gifts, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So let's first of all look at God's masterpiece, a pageant of triumph in glory. His masterpiece is his amazing church. His amazing church. And it doesn't take much just to look around, watch our televisions, listen to different programs, hear the commentators, watch all sorts of programs, read the newspaper and think there's a negative, people talk negatively about God's church. And even within the church, people talk negatively. I find it's a lot easier sometimes to find the faults rather than to look at the positives. And we need to be careful when we do that. I put a check on my spirit many times because coming the background we had was very just judgmental and it's easy to pick holes in things. But in this context of living a world where the people see the church negatively, we just need to raise the bar and say, how good is this thing that God, through his grace, has brought about? And God's amazing church, it's a pageant of triumph in glory. Terry Virgo, in his book, Does the Future Have a Church, said, rather than give up on the church and anticipate her demise... We give our best energies to her undoubted victory in history, knowing that Christ is determined to have a glorious bride, worthy of his own majesty and might. As a city set on a hill which cannot be hid, it becomes a demonstration of God's alternative society, a community of love in this life, an outpost of heaven in the present where God's glory can be encountered now and in your personal role discovered. God's church. A pageant is a procession, a reenactment. It's an impressive ceremony. It's a historical celebration. On a scale of one to ten, how important is it to be together here today? Very important. 
just to turn up is engaging with worship. We've been invited by the king. What do you do with an invitation? Do you refuse it? Or you just don't answer and say, I'm not coming? Or do you just ignore it? I think it's very important. You know, I think there's something special about making church special. Do we make it special or do we just rock up? I think there's something special about making church special. This is the best thing I can do today. For every gathering, we have been invited by the king with a personal welcome. Some make it special by dressing carefully and differently to mark the occasion as honourable. Now, I'm not making the doctrine of dress code or causing a casual or, or, or talking against casual dress. You might have noticed that Fred Johnson turns up on Pentecost Sunday dressed very smartly. He puts a posh jacket on, a bright shirt, and a hanky in his top pocket. He makes that day special. And some people like to make that day special and honourable when they come together by dressing differently and carefully. And that's a good thing to do. But not as my friend at Faversham, who one day, because it was very hot, he went to his local congregation. He, he didn't wear a jacket and he didn't wear a tie. And the elders got hold of him afterwards said, you're not to come to church without a jacket and you must have a blue tie on when you come. No, I'm not going anywhere down that road, but you see the difference, don't you? Some people just like to honour the occasion. They make it special, and that's, that's good. That's really good. In 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14, we're thinking about the pageant of triumph and glory, but thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. You see, that, that, there's that idea that we're enacting something here which has a great, a great demonstration in history. We're the church of the living God. It's an amazing company of people. It's special. And he said... Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Now if you'd like to just turn over to Hebrews 12 verse 22. I said I was going to chapters and verse numbers. I think it's good to look at them and read them. I think this is such an amazing verse. It's not spoken specifically about the church, but it just helps us understand how amazing the church, how amazing the church and its people that make up the church are and what God has done in history. And this is how it reads. You have come to Mount Zion... And just to explain, the writer here's got the Jewish mind, so there's things which specifically connect with the Jewish mind here, but we can take a bit of this. 
take the summit of the spirit of it, the amazingness of it. You have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God. The heavenly Jerusalem. The city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. To the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You've come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. I love that. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. God's masterpiece, a pageant of triumph in glory. We're an outpost of heaven with a place that God dwells, an amazing place, engaging with worship, engaging with God, engaging what he's done. The next thing I want to look at is the elect, who we are, a dynasty of unsurpassed greatness. And I thought to myself, does this truly reflect who we are as a people? Are we a dynasty? Yeah, we are. We may be a motley crew here this morning. I'm not being rude. I'm just making the comparison here. We may be a motley crew, but we are not just a chance collection of individuals. Church members are not to be regarded as the audience, merely watching the professionals perform on stage. I just want to make a quote from John Stott. Now, John Stott was a, uh, a London-based theologian, um, large, broadly within the Anglican Church. Um, amazingly, he took uh, Prince Charles and Princess Anne through confirmation classes, and I read a little book that he wrote on confirmation. That's not saying I'm, I, I go personally go with confirmation. I think baptism is the right thing. But... He took them through, and he's, he's an amazing man, the way he studied the Word of God and what he gives to us. And he said this, If during the 16th century the church recovered what we may call the priesthood of all believers, what that means is at that time in the church, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't partake in the church like we did, and really you had to go to God through a sort of recognised earthly priest. I think the Catholic Church largely goes on this, broadly on this basis. In other words, in other words, there's no access to God unless you come to the priest in that church, which is contrary to Scripture. Because the Bible, and they rec- in the 16th century, they recovered this, the priesthood of all believers. The fact that I have access to God, myself, and personally, because of Jesus Christ. We're looking at the elect, who we are. And so we're a dynasty to carry on this. So if in the 16th century uh, they recovered what they called the priesthood of all believers, that is every Christian enjoying through Christ the direct access to God, perhaps the 20th century could recover the ministry of all believers. Every Christian moving in the gifts of the Holy Spirit as a privileged ministry to others. 
We were talking about what we do, the, our spiritual gifts. We edify the church. We build the church up. It helps others. It encourages others. brings comfort to them. And spiritual gifts do this. They're part of God's church, engaging with worship. What is a dynasty, then? Let's ask the question. It's a succession of people from the same family. We're the same family because of Jesus. The same family who are distinctive in business, arts, politics. We think some of the great names have cropped up in finance and still they, they continue today on the stock exchange. You could call that a dynasty. There's another dynasty. People from the same family, or by reason of birth, continue role of sovereignty. Have you ever seen yourself like that in God's kingdom? That we're actually continuing the role of his sovereignty on earth? If God has made us through Jesus kings and priests, or a kingdom of priests, as other translations put it, then we're a dynasty which, which were an unsurpassed people. God's placed us in the realm beyond which we could ever even try to attempt or get to. God's elect. We are his elect. A dynasty of unsurpassed greatness. An old hymn writer, Arthur Tappan Pearson, asked the question in one of his famous hymns, who makes a rebel, a priest, and a king? Who makes it? Jesus makes a rebel, a priest, and a king. He said, I'm not a rebel. Can I tell you this morning, you don't have to do anything to be a rebel, as far as God is concerned. Did you know we're born rebels? We may not like that. That's the truth of Scripture. And the question is asked this morning, who makes that rebel a priest and a king? You can't make yourself a priest and a king. In actual fact, you can't do anything because the Bible tells us we're dead in sins. That, that means actually unable to do a thing to reach out to God. He reaches out to us through Jesus. And that's so making. A newer song we sing, who, we say, who breaks the power of sin and darkness and who brings our chaos back into order and who makes the orphan a son and daughter, the king of all kings. He does that. We're looking at this elect, this, the people who we are. And Jesus has done that for us. That's the greatest claim that believers can have. And Paul describes it as an unsurpassed greatness. An unsurpassed greatness. In 1 Peter 1 verse 9, there's no need to turn to it. He says, but you are a chosen race. Listen to this carefully. He's talking to Christians, people who have accepted Jesus Christ as Saviour. He's talking that you are 
We're looking at this this morning. We need to recognize who we are and continue to recognize who we are in order to engage with the bigger picture, with God, to engage with worship. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of that you may proclaim the excellencies of him, that you may proclaim engaging, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, you were a rebel. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Isn't it an amazing thing what Jesus has done for us? We so casually say sometimes, I received Jesus as my saviour, and we did, and that's good. But it's what God has done to us. He's made us through knowing Christ Jesus. He's made us kings and priests to our God. I think that makes meeting together very special. Very special indeed. And I love it. Lastly, entitled the gifts, the refreshing from the Lord. And if you can go back to 1 Corinthians 14. I'm just going to read through some verses and just make a few comments. And all I want to do is to just to try and <clears throat> look at some logics here and consistencies to help people formulate in their minds what, what tongues, whether I was in that place for a long time. Now, is tongue, is what we say, you hear people speaking in tongues, you can't understand what they're saying, and actually no one speaks the same. It, and, it, and some comments, some preachers will say this is gibberish. Some people will say it's gibberish. I was in, we was in Malaysia in 2012 and a very large church in Kuala Lumpur and um, we, we were taking up this amazing building that had been built, several floors high it was, belonged to the church there and we were just hanging around in the office with our friend and um, um, there was a, a, a paper on their tongues, is it real or not? And I began to read it and it was obviously a sort of a thesis about it not being real and not true. And I've been in that place. And I know it's difficult to, but some people just need to get in their minds whether, it's, whether it is of God or not, or whether it's not. And I just want a few simple things to look at. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. This is Paul talking. Pursue love. He's just previously talked about love and that spiritual gifts should be um, demonstrated or brought in the context of love. In the context of love. It's not your thing. It's not your ministry. It's something we offer to bless the church. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So if we're looking at prophecy and people say, well, prophecy is not the same, it's not for today... Paul's talking here, just simply, it is part of the New Testament church. How that's worked out can sometimes vary 
a little. But just a, just a little example to demonstrate. Um, Jubilee Church in London um, is quite a large church. Our friend goes there. And when they were growing, they were looking for a place to meet. I have mentioned this before, so if you've heard it before, don't worry. And at the late, we were sitting at the wedding reception, and the lady was talking to the history of the church and how it moved on. And she said, one of the most amazing prophecies was this. The place where you will meet will be carpeted in a large area. It will have many doors, and there will be people coming and going. Now, that was the prophecy. That was the prophecy. Now, they were, very speci- they were specifics to a situation, but actually God was giving it to them as a direction of what they should do and where they should go. They actually ended up in a cinema. And when we went there for the wedding, um, this building was on the corner, like a big round corner like that. And the first thing I saw was lots of doors. The second thing I saw was people coming and going. This was nine o'clock in the morning, people going to the cinema in Enfield. People coming and going. And the next thing that wowed me when I went in was this large carpeted area. And it's just a simple illustration of how prophecy works sometimes. It's not thus saith the Lord, but it's truth in a situation that is needed. That's only one simple God is using prophecy today. And Paul says that you may prophesy. Verse 2, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks to men, but to God. Now this goes from prophecy to tongues. And it says, the person who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, not to men, but to God. In another place, it talks that he edifies himself. And then it says further on in this verse, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. So when you hear someone speaking in tongues, they're uttering ministry, they're ministering in the, in, in the spirit. So we're not necessarily going to understand that. Now time's going quickly, and I just want to say simply, Paul speaks about talk, people speaking in tongues, and then he speaks about interpreting. And he seeks that they're two separate gifts. If we speak in the tongues... The interpretation is gifted. Now, sometimes some, a person has the, uh, the gifting to interpret themselves, and other times someone else will interpret. He doesn't say translate. There are two different words for interpret and translate. If you know the story in Acts, when the, the gift of tongues was poured out on the people... The casual observer said, these men are drunk. In another place in that chapter, it also that people heard in their own language the wonderful things of God. Now, first of all, just to be logical, logical about this, if my perception of someone doing something is they're drunk, that's how they see them. So... If someone's speaking in tongues, it may appear not logical. It may appear to you as out of order and out of control. So in a sense, while there seems to be disorder, there's order because it's God's order. So with that in mind, it may be difficult to understand sometimes. But Paul wanted them all to speak in tongues 
But he said, the other thing I wanted to say here is in verse 5, now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. Now I've looked into different people, and I just want to make a point here. They're saying, well, tongues isn't important because prophecy is more important. But you read on. There's a little word, unless. It just struck me the other day when I was reading this. But prophecy is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless. So some people rubbish tongues because they say prophecy is more important. But he says, unless someone interprets. Now that seems to be just a logical thing in the text. Unless someone interprets. Not unless someone translates. Now, Bob did a very good job at translating last week. He ended up with the word poo. And that was a translation in the context of that's how we feel sometimes if we're suffering mentally or if that's just how we feel when we come to worship or to come together, we just feel like that. And that's a very real experience. So he did a good job at uh, translating. But interpret means you give the meaning of the message in that tongue. That's what interpret is. So it's slightly different, and the Greek words are different. Barry could tell you what they are more precisely than what I could, I expect, but there you go. Not translate. So that the church may be built up. Now, if you go down to verse 26, where we looked at earlier, the phrase speaking in tongues... Some people translate as languages. They say, well, it's just another language. But if you look at this verse carefully, there's a difference. Verse 26. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a tongue. Do you see the difference? There's just a logical difference here. A tongue is something specific. It's not languages. It's something specific that's brought as a gift from which interpretation comes. So if you're finding it difficult to understand that, then maybe that will help. I don't know. But engaging with worship, just as we finish these things that can actually help us in worship. Let's give you a little testimony. Larry said, I suffer from anxiety, and this connects and stitches into last week. I suffer from anxiety. Praying in tongues for an hour cured me of that. And Tiana responded, I'm also a witness of the same. Now, it's not a cure, but can it help? God wants to help. He wants to help. He wants to bless. 
And I suppose many people have got the experience of the same. God wants to move. And I believe, when I felt earlier that God wants to move in, in Beacon, there wants to be a spiritual awakening. I believe that's true. You like to stand? Spirit of God, we just we're crying out, refresh us, Lord. We just want to push that refresh button, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Restore, O oh Lord, the honour of your name. Thank you, Father. We're just going to sing that song in closing. We've just got time to sing it. But God will just move in us as we, as we close with this. There's a pageant of triumph in glory. As Jesus the King takes the throne, the shame of a cross is exchanged for a crown. Thank you, Lord.